0: Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zetner Geology Podcast, Episode 51, Intermontane Superterrain. Thanks for listening. It's mid-October. It's mid-October. And I just looked at the last podcast episode that I posted, and it's more than a month ago, early September. I did three of those uh interviews with uh, important Washington geologists, Merle Beck, Daryl Cowan, and Ralph Hagerud. So I had to re-listen to those, at least a little bit of how I uh, laid out the intro for those uh, most recent episodes. I guess that's episodes, what, 48, 49, and 50? And here we are at uh, episode 51. So by now, if you've been a fan of this audio podcast, you know that things come in fits and starts. I don't keep a regular schedule with this, and when I catch a a week where I'm not uh, particularly uh, consumed with something else, I go, oh, you know, it's been a while since I've done one of those audio podcasts, so that's kind of the story here. So uh, I'd like to do two things with this episode. First of all, uh, since you tuned in to listen to a intermontane super uh, super terrain uh, episode, I'll, I'll certainly get to that in a second, and. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount, uh, really for the first time, uh, on much of British Columbia's exotic terrains, and so I will be sharing that with you. But I would also like just to update you on uh, what's been going on since early September, assuming you have interest. The basic message, and I, I talked about that in early September, is that I was beginning more live streams from my backyard And uh, I'm 10 episodes into the 26 Exotic Terrain's A to Z live stream series. And I quite honestly forget if I told you why I even got into the exotic terrain business. I'll make it very brief just in case I already went through the gory details. I probably did. Um, I'm going to be dealing with the North Cascades a fair amount over the next few summers. There's a research team that uh, has a big NSF, National Science Foundation, grant. And I have been asked to be the public outreach person for their work. And so I'll be interviewing the geologists on site. I'll be kind of keeping up with their results and what they're writing up. And, and uh, I agreed to do this uh, without really admitting to them that I was pretty weak on the exotic terrains in the Pacific Northwest, especially in the North Cascades. And so I have been motivated to, to get in as, as deeply as possible. But keeping in mind that I'll be live streaming, that I have been live streaming to a, uh, a, a live audience from around the world. Uh, the, consistent is, uh, the consistent scene is about, a I don't know, 800 to 1,000 viewers live and then um, another 10,000 or so that watch um, in the in the next few days they watch the replay and these exotic terrain live streams of course all work together so I came up with the gimmick of letters so you have to watch session a before session b is going to make much sense and so on and uh, actually let me flip to my other screen here and uh, remind myself of where I am in the series. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, so I'm going to the uh, uh, YouTube channel that I have. And uh, let me just read you very quickly the 10 episodes that I've done so far. And I have been truly going uh, episode to episode. There was no grand plan until kind of recently. I finally kind of gotten a general, uh, uh, the rest of the alphabet kind of locked, blocked off in my head. So session A was called geologic time, pretty bland. Session B, basement glimpses. C, craton versus terrains. D, passive margin. E, paleogeography. F, strike slip faults. So there's six of the 10 that I've done already. and We didn't really get to exotic terrains. I ended up kind of falling into calling those the table setting sessions. Basically, we were going to dive in and really feast on these exotic terrains, but we had to set the table first. We had to get the linens out. We had to get the good silverware out. We had to really get some background on some concepts before we dove right in. And uh, at the time, it felt like the thing to do, the correct thing to do. And and now that those six sessions are in the can, uh, I'm especially happy that we did it that way. Now, the viewers, of course, some of them uh, who are you know, really into this stuff, uh, they were getting impatient, <laughs> and they're not afraid to tell me that, it seems. Um, but I thought that those sessions were important. And as I just mentioned to you, uh, the main goal is to know about the North Cascades and all of the exotic terrain bedrock that's exposed in northern Washington, specifically in North Cascades National Park and Washington Route 20 over Washington Pass, et cetera. But really, all the Mesozoic bedrock between Ellensburg and the Canadian border, that is the target. Now, I'm to session, I just finished session J, which means I have done four truly exotic terrain sessions. The first was a couple weeks ago. Session G was called Quinellia, H was Cache Creek. I was Stikinia. And the most recent episode, J, which I did a couple of days ago on Sunday morning, uh, was called Alexander, the Alexander Terrain. So let's say you really know your stuff, and let's say especially you know British Columbia stuff. Those are very familiar names. The Quinelia, the Cache Creek, and the Stikinia in particular. And collectively, those three exotic terrains, again, Quinelia, Cache Creek, and Stikinia, collectively those are called the intermontane superterrain. So we are to the actual title of the podcast episode here. And I think without writing anything out or whatever, I'm just going to, as I usually do with these audio sessions, just kind of freelance and uh, try to fill you in on what I've been able to learn and how I've been able to learn it and what scientific papers that I've been using. And I don't know, for those that are not only enjoying, enjoying the live streams, but also listening to this, maybe I'll give you a little sneak peek on what we're planning uh, for the next few weeks. I do have a general plan. And this week, I, I have some time to do this audio episode because uh, I announced that I'm not live streaming this weekend. Tomorrow morning, I'm flying to Wisconsin. I'm going to visit my mother, uh, which uh, over the last few years, I've, I fell into a routine of of visiting every spring, summer, and fall for a long weekend, especially when my dad was in particularly poor health. That was a, that was a regular pattern we had. Well, my dad passed away last summer, and and yet um, I'm still doing that uh, three times a year. Well, spring I was supposed to go and then uh, didn't go because of COVID, but I did go in July, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, mom again tomorrow. So, um, since I'm kind of switching things up with the, the, the live streams, uh, that gives me a chance to kind of take a break just a little bit and also think ahead on what we want to do. And let's say you're listening to this audio podcast and you have no idea what I'm talking about with these live streams and everything else. Uh, go to YouTube, type in my name, Nick Zentner. You'll find the Nick Zentner YouTube channel. And you'll see all these live streams. We're up to uh, almost 90 live streams since March. That seems impossible, but it, it's been fun. And I've learned a lot of new things, not only about technology, but about uh, geology as well, especially recently. Okay, so for the rest of this episode, let's go ahead and talk about this topic, uh, the intermontane superterrain. Exotic terrains are a topic that are complicated. Most people have avoided them uh, when teaching geology to the general public. For instance, if you just Google Missoula floods or Bridge of the Gods landslide or uh, Puget Lobe or Mount St. Helens eruption, you know there's all sorts of geology programs from geology professors and TV people, and you know just, there's just a lot out there. But there's not that much, hardly anything, on exotic terrains. And part of the reason is it's complicated. Part of the reason is much of that rock is old enough here in the Pacific Northwest that it's not on display. In other words, it's been buried, it's been covered, it's been altered, it's been moved, it's been uh, kind of sliced and diced. And so you really have to kind of get your head right uh, and your mind right. Uh, to get there, to actually kind of appreciate what is in front of you. And in my case, uh, I ride my bicycle to campus every day, and I see the Stewart Range straight ahead of me on the on the northern horizon, Mount Stewart and the Stewart Range. Some people know it maybe as the Enchantments area. And that's a reminder every day that uh, this exotic terrain bedrock is right there, And yet, I've never really sat down and took the time to to learn what's going on. So it has been deeply satisfying. I have to say that. It's been deeply satisfying to finally, after 30 years of being here, sit down, force myself to read through these scientific papers. And it's particularly satisfying, and maybe you can relate in, in other branches of your life, uh, you, you hear snippets here and there. You have a little this and you have a little of that. And you, you've always meant to kind of really learn more about it, but you you never do. And so these little snippets, these kind of random little fragments of stories and visuals and almost myths and rumors, you know, they keep popping up. And for me... The relief comes when you you finally sit down and like okay that is a real thing okay I do have that date straight oh well that works with this and now I can see how these things work together and um, it's tremendously rewarding and 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 then throw in the fact that you can email people who are writing the papers and most of them reply to you and uh, you can kind of put a personal touch on on what you're teaching by. Uh, sharing what the researchers have done and the backstory and that sort of thing. It's really been great. So, if you listen to those interviews that I just chatted about with the three old timers, uh, that gives you a little window into just kind of the work that's been going on. And I've been meeting some other people as well. Okay, well, I decided once we finally got to the terrains that I wanted to be up in British Columbia because British Columbia has by far the best exposure of these major exotic terrains. And so British Columbia is where we have begun. British Columbia is where the, uh, the intermontane... I almost stumble on that. Intermontane terrain is best exposed. And just kind of off the cuff, let me share with you, without even looking at any notes, kind of give you a sense of what the story is. A superterrain is... A few exotic terrains that hooked up out in the ocean and then got added to North America as a unit, as a super terrain. So, you know, if you have seen a program, you know, if you can find an old YouTube clip or an old movie that's been shown in a classroom from 30 years ago or whatever, or even the roadside geology books, to be honest, even though they're excellent. Uh, they typically kind of present these terrains as coming in, like swimming in off of the Pacific Ocean from distant places. And they get added to the edge of North America one at a time. The process called accretion. In fact, even in this series, I've, I've had some episodes probably on exotic terrains and have kind of said that very thing. Well, when you really start looking carefully, you realize there's the the, the the general narrative becomes much more interesting and gets farther away from the general narrative. What's the general narrative? Well, there's a vast Pacific Ocean off to the west coast of North America. And over the last 200 million years, we've got these scraps of land, these terrains coming from different locations somewhere out on the Pacific. And here they come. Here they come. North America's drifting west because of the breakup of Pangea. And every once in a while, there's a little thud. Did you hear that thud? I don't know. Did you hear that? I didn't hear that. Oh yeah, I guess I guess something kind of hit our windshield. I guess some some kind of I don't know uh, baked potatoes splattered on our windshield as we were driving through the hot summer night. <laughs> that was weird. So these baked potatoes are <laughs> are splattering on the windshield. Well, let's bust that myth. They're not coming one at a time. Sometimes a few potatoes get together and then fly through the air as a super potato. Good Lord. But I can't hold it. What if the super potato is out there uh, uh, hovering in space and it's your car coming down the road that's going to hit the stationary Super potato, hovering in space. That would still get the potato, the super potato, to add to your windshield, wouldn't it? But who's doing the moving? Okay, well, I'm I'm giving a little wink and 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 a hint as to what's coming in the next few episodes with the Exotic Terrain series. And if you happen to hear this before October 23rd, that's the next session that we will do live. Uh, By the way, I junked the Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. pretty quickly because I I kept running into uh, Internet issues and traffic with neighbors. But uh, I've upgraded the router and the modem thanks to uh, the help of a friend, Steve. And uh, I've got, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm tricked out now, basically. And uh, so I'm confident that I could have stepped, stuck with the Wednesday at 6 p.m. But I've moved to, it's still two live streams a week, but it's Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. And then Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. So it's kind of a, a weekend thing where where it's showtime, essentially. And the Friday at 2 works well. Liz isn't home from school yet, so I've got the house to myself. Don't have to worry about... Uh, uh, her being on, on some other channel, conflicting with what I'm doing while I'm live streaming. And the Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings are early enough. And actually, both of those hours work well so that folks in Europe and Asia can, mostly Europe can, and Africa even, can, can join live as well. Okay. Um, so, yes, the next episode will be Friday, October 23rd at 2 p.m. Episode called Rangelia, probably the most famous of all the exotic terrains. W.R. Rangelia, named after the Rangel Islands, I guess, or Rangel Mountains. I don't know. Are there Rangel Islands? That's how much I know. You know, I, I, I truly am starting from scratch, uh, even geography-wise, uh, in British Columbia. It's embarrassing, but it's true. And so there's relief there as well. When I finally sit down at a map and kind of go, okay, well, that's where the Alexander Terrain stuff is located. Oh, Prince of Wales Island. Okay. Glacier Bay. hmm Okay. Um, so, the little wink is, um, I will be introducing, after Rangelia, uh, two very exciting geologists. One of them, a younger gal named Kar- uh, Karin Sigloch. She's German. Uh, K-A-R-I-N-S-I-G-L-O-C-H. And I think it's Sigloch, a little H at the end. i got to practice. And that's the easy name. The other name, and these guys are a team, and they are absolutely, and I'm getting excited now just telling you about it, they are absolutely turning the conventional plate tectonic models for exotic terrains on their frickin' head. I mean, they are, they are blowing it up big time. And um, it involves new information that, that Karin's been able to find down in the Mantle, I guess I'll be just kind of be coy about it. Um, but the, so it's Karen and Mitch, Mitch. And Mitch's last name, I still don't really know how to pronounce, but I think it's uh, Mahalik, Mahalik. I don't know. Uh, and I don't have his name handy here. Oh, wait a minute. So I, I emailed, you know, this is this is kind of how it goes. When I get really fired up, I start emailing people. And, you know, sometimes it takes a week or more to hear from them. Because my emails are kind of dense and I've got some very specific questions. Here it is Mitch. Mitch, he's a Canadian geologist. Mitch, M I H A L Y N U K. Mahalanik, I think that's it. Mahalanik. So Mitch has you know, got 30-plus years of field mapping experience in British Columbia. So he knows the bedrock. He knows the terrains. And he had some very interesting intramontane superterrain papers over the last 30 years, which I'll tell, talk about in just a second. But more recently, since especially I've heard directly from both Karin and Mitch, uh, they have this newly formed team. Well, newly. I guess it started 10 years ago. Uh, But they are blowing up this model and not everybody is wild about it. And uh, so there's kind of this revolution going on in the world of exotic terrain uh, discussions uh, currently with those guys uh, leading the way. And I can't wait to share that with our audience. So even if you are a fan of uh, the North American Cordilleran and you feel pretty confident that you know the basics of Quinellia and Cache Creek and Stequenia, and once we get into North Cascades, which I haven't even done yet, I spo- I think I told the audience just the other day, I think it's going to be November before we actually get to Mount Stewart, and we get to Washington Pass, and we get to Lake Chelan, and we get to the Ingalls uh, Ophiolite, and we, we get to the San Juan Islands, and all these places that are the goal to understand. To, my, my way of approaching this is to kind of Touch around the edges in places that we know well. Yes, British Columbia, but as I was discussing in recent episodes, the intermontane superterrain features are also found in Oregon and California. So if you're finding Quinella, Cash Creek, and Stikinia in British Columbia, Yukon, and the Alaska, and you are, and then you're also, you've got consensus by pretty much everybody that there are elements of Quinelia, Cache Creek, and Stikinia in the Klamath Mountains of southwestern Oregon and northern California, and even the foothills of the Sierras down by Chico. Well, Washington's in between those places. North of Oregon and California, last time I checked, and south of British Columbia, Yukon, and Alaska. So I, I'm, I'm approaching the North Cascades that way, and it's, it works for me and I think it will work for everybody because if you just kind of jump out of an airplane, jump out of a helicopter, jump out of something, hot air balloon, and you just kind of descend quickly and then you crash land uh, at Hearts Pass in the middle of North Cascades Park or North Cascades area in general, I don't think you'll ever figure out what's going on. In other words, there's nothing bigger to plug into like the intermontane superterrain. Okay, let's, enough screwing around. Let's get right to it then. So what, what have I learned about Quinelia, Cache Creek, and Stikinia? Well, first of all, um, in the table-setting episodes, we realized that there is a passive margin uh, on the west coast of Old North America. So we established where we don't have exotic terrains. And in the case of Washington, the town that I chose as an important place for us is Kettle Falls, Washington, right where the Columbia River is coming out of British Columbia and flowing directly south, essentially. So on the east side of the Columbia River at Kettle Falls, Washington, is Old North America. And if you get down to the deepest parts of Old North America, you're into Precambrian metamorphics and granites that are from the oldest days of putting North America together. In in fact, that's that's an old uh, exotic terrain story, but not our topic. And then uh, that was one table-setting episode, and then I guess late in that episode we realized that there's a passive margin, that there's this thousands of feet of relatively straightforward beach rocks, sands and muds, that were deposited along that west coast, near Stockton's House, near, near, near Spokane-ish, east of Kettle Falls, in other words. Um, but there's been so much time and, and occasional temperature and pressure conditions to convert the sands to uh, sandstones and then the sandstones to quartzites and then the clays, the muds and the clays to shales and, and, and slates and then ultimately phyllites. So quartzites and phyllites abound with some of these passive margin sediments. And another nice little twist is that we have viewers now sending things in related to the topic as, as opposed to just kind of sending in, uh, you know, nice gifts and baked goods and all that, which is, uh, of course, tremendous and wonderful and heartwarming. And, uh, but now we've got, you know, Sharon from Colville sending in rocks from the passive margin that I featured uh, in the Passive Margin Show. Uh, and we've got uh, uh, sh- three minute uh, field reports. People are, fans are, viewers of the, of the live streams are, are recording their own little reports and sending them in to me. And so I'm sharing <laughs> some of their reports uh, from these various locations, which is super fun. So the whole thing is just kind of organic and, and really fun. Okay, well, that sets the stage then. We have this passive margin at Kettle Falls, and as we told it, originally, the Quinellia terrain is the first to arrive. Well, that's a lie, it turns out, because remember, Quinellia is a portion of a much larger superterrain called the Intermontane superterrain, but much of this is just about teaching choices, and I didn't think we could handle the whole Intermontane superterrain right off the bat. So we used the Roadside of Geology second edition book, Marley Miller and Daryl Cowan, and that continues to be our quote-unquote textbook for the sessions. And some people have it right there, ready to go next to their TV as if they're watching or on their live stream uh, or on their, on their laptop. You know, a bunch of people are proudly reporting they bought the book, and we haven't used it much yet. But in the case of the Quinelli episode, we did. And Marley, I'll just say Marley, even though it's Marley and Daryl, Uh, Marley has a a nice little cross-section showing how much of Quinellia, royal blue is our color for Quinellia, dominates eastern Washington. Of course, it's underneath the flood basalts, it's underneath other things that get in the way, but for the most part, Quinellia is a uh, significant exotic terrain story for eastern Washington. And so what's immediately west of Kettle Falls? What's immediately west of the Columbia River in the Kettle Falls area? Quinellia bedrock. And that Quinellia bedrock extends from Kettle Falls essentially over to Tenasket. And Tenasket's on U.S. 97 as it's heading north and south through the Okanagan Valley in Washington. Now, as we said, there's complications. So it's not pure Quinellia bedrock any longer between Kettle Falls, and Tenasket, because there's been so much action since that time. There's been metamorphism with metamorphic core complexes. There's been plutonic rocks, in other words, magmas invading from below. There's been some stuff covering. There's a glacial till that's covering things. But originally, that was all royal blue quinelia. By the way, the colors are part of what we're doing. Uh, it's it's complicated when you look at all these maps from all these different sources and everybody uses a different color scheme. So I've been kind of building this exotic terrain map and each time we have a session, I introduce a new terrain and I hereby declare the new color for that terrain. So... Um, At least for us, uh, that works. And, again, the fans are sending things in. So some are good animators, and so they're making animations, and they're color-coding the animations according to our colors. It's all super sweet and super fun. Uh, Emails keep pouring in, but hopefully you can't hear the beeps that I'm hearing. Um, So in that Quinelli episode, which was uh, October 2nd, I guess that was Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, October 2nd, I just talked about quinelia by itself, and we looked at the bedrock of Quinelia, which, surprising to me, has some basement rock uh, that has a North American affinity, meaning that there are some rocks and some zircons in the rocks deep down in the quinelia terrain that looks like it was part of North America originally, part of the passive margin. And so you can see why just simply saying exotic terrains are truly exotic pieces of land that came from distant locations in the Pacific. That's baloney. Uh, some are truly that story, but in the case of Quinelia, and why not? I'll say it. And Stichinia as well. Quinelia and Stichinia are almost identical twins. They both have kind of a volcanic arc. No. They both have basement rock. Oldest rocks in both quinelia and Stikinia exotic terrains have rocks that, that say that they were originally part of Old North America. And then once those two pieces of land were out in the Pacific for Quinelia and Stikinia, then there was some volcanic arc activity. In other words, ocean-island arc, a line of ocean islands, kind of like today's Aleutian Islands that stretch like a string of pearls across the North Pacific. And there's plenty of other examples as well. The Marianas Islands, Guam, the Philippines, etc. Okay? So, I'll flash ahead. Uh, eventually, I talked about Stikina and Quinelia as the twins. Again, as a teacher, I try to come up with phrases that people remember, ways to help them remember things. Uh, sometimes corny little stories or analogies, but... In this case, we talked about Stichinia and Quinella as the twins, twins that eventually hooked up, linked up, connected themselves out in the Pacific at a certain point in time. And then, no, I'm ahead of myself. Well, no, I'm not. So I used the concept of a string bean. I had some string beans that I, I, I impulsively bought uh, down at Safeway Grocery Store right before we uh, started live streaming. I didn't think I could even find string beans in the grocery store in October, but it worked. So I needed a string bean to talk about this Stikinia slash Quinellia volcanic island arc. We're talking about the inter- intermontane supertrain, by the way, in case you're losing interest. But there's one important thing that we have to do. The Cache Creek terrain is truly exotic, meaning it has microfossils within those carbonate platforms. So a bunch of limestones that are surprisingly undeformed as a whole make up the Cache Creek terrain. And if you look carefully at those microfossils, teeny tiny fossils you can only see with a microscope, in the limestones of Cache Creek, the message remains that that stuff came from the farthest reaches of the South Pacific. Now, this is a totally different global geography than we have today, but we can still say uh, in the kind of uh, proto-Pacific Ocean the Proto-Pacific Ocean. There was an area called the Tethys Sea, T-E-T-H-S, I believe, T-A-T-H-Y-S, T-A-T-H-Y-S, the Tethys Sea. And so these things called Tethian fossils, like Yabina fossils, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but they're little microfossils the size of uh, grains of wheat. And... uh, other fusulinids and foraminifera, things I don't really know anything about. But the folks who do know a lot about those uh, Tethian fossils swear that if you find Tethian fossils in an exotic terrain, that's a dead giveaway, that's a smoking gun for that rock coming from, let's just say, the southwest Pacific. And that rock has to completely cross the old Pacific, and the Pacific was bigger at that time. This is during Pangaea time, by the way. So I'll pick up the pace just slightly to say that if we take our Quinella-Stichina volcanic island arc that is either just offshore of North America or possibly a third of the way across the Pacific from North America, maybe even in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, Not people don't know yet, we need to take that volcanic island arc out in the water, wherever it was, and start folding it like you would a string bean. Just take a string bean and it's instead of it being nice and straight, start bending it. You're not going to snap it. Just go ahead and start bending that string bean and make uh, an orocline. Just a big old fold, a big old gentle bend in that range, in that island arc and the concept then which came up with, which Mitch first came up with in the early 90s and he still has it today that bend i was calling a jackknife so we jackknife the quinelius tokenya volcanic arc and at the same time we have the ocean floor that's moving towards north america and approaching this stringbing jackknife anybody still with me <laughs> We're going to scrape off that downgoing material on the ocean floor that includes the Cache Creek carbonate platforms, that includes huge, apparently, oceanic seamounts and oceanic plateaus like large igneous province-like massive amounts of basalt. That's also part of the Cache Creek story. Oh, Bijou's being fed again. It's feeding time here in the zoo all that material is going to get added to the inside of this jackknife. And most famously, uh, much of the Cache Creek is completely chaotic and fractured and scraps of this and scraps of this, something we call a melange or an accretionary wedge or an accretionary uh, uh, subduction complex. So that seems like a lot of work to create a string bean and then to jackknife the thing and then to be adding all this Cache Creek far-traveled stuff in between. And you keep closing the string bean until you fold it on itself. And then you take that whole thing, that folded string bean with the exotic Tethian Cache Creek on the inside of the fold, and that's the intermontane terrain that you accrete or add to North America. Before I lose my train of thought, we have a date, and it's a big date, for the addition of Quinelia, Cache Creek, and Stikinia together. They're hooking up out in the ocean in the string bean story. We add them to North America 170 million years ago, give or take a few million years. 170, that's a big number that we've hit hard. So bringing it back to what we just said a while ago, the west coast of Washington is at Kettle Falls, Washington, prior to 170. And once we accrete the intermontane superterrain, the west coast of Washington is suddenly at Tenasket. And there are some beautiful limestone beds that are truly still limestone, apparently, up above Tanasket, And that's why I chose Tanasket as our kind of index city or our, loca- our location for the western edge of the intermontane superterrain. Um, you know what? I just realized something as I'm saying this to you. Huh. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder now. Because as we presented that western edge of that material that came in, that was just Quenellia. Hmm. Okay, I'm pausing right here live with you, and I'm saying to myself, is Tenascot at the western edge of Quenellia? Or is it the western edge of the intermontane superterrain? Damn. This is kind of exciting. Maybe not for you, because you were following along, hopefully, and now I'm kind of like going backwards in what I'm saying. But the reason it's exciting for me is that when we finally do get to the North Cascades, which is immediately west of Tenasket, by the way, as soon as we get west of Tenasket, west of the Okanagan Valley in Washington, suddenly we're in the North Cascades. If there's Cash Creek, oh man, I think there is. If there's equivalence of Cash Creek west of Tanasket, now I'm written Daddy's excited. And if we can find scraps of stakinia, hmm, I like this. Then we can correlate even better between British Columbia and what we think are the twins in Cash Creek in between down in Oregon and California. Wow, okay. Glad I did this with you. I'm gonna to have to really work on that. Think about that. Um, and the re- I'll just I'll just finish the thought there, and maybe we'll finish the episode. I don't even know how much how long we've we been going here. I can't even find GarageBand on this thing. Oh God, it's almost forty minutes already. Right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up pretty quick. Um, but. Um, The whole game plan, which is kind of still loose in my mind, is once we get a little later in the alphabet and we're finally ready to visit the North Cascades. Of course, there's, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of new names, and new terrain names, and new rock types, and new faults, and everything else. But, and it may not work, but my plan is to go, well, yeah, they call this the Hosamine, but isn't this really the Cache Creek? I'm making it up, by the way. Yeah, they call this right here the Ingalls Terrain, but isn't this really the Josephine and also the something else? So in a way, I'm I'm going to try to deal with the Hornet's Nest, a.k.a. the North Cascades, by using our basic relationships to the north and south and then come into the swamp or the hornet's nest and try to unravel things. And possibly, possibly it is just Quinellia to the east of Tenasket and we might be looking actively for Cache Creek and Stakini, the other two parts of the intermontane superterrain in the North Cascades up by the Canadian border. Wow, okay. Well, I think that's the end of this episode. Uh, if you were waiting for a discussion of Slide Mountain, that's a, sometimes on some exotic terrain maps as part of the intermontane superterrain. It's kind of like a miniature or a smaller version of Cache Creek. In other words, it's ocean floor originally that was that's now in, in the mountains. It's kind of confusing to call something Slide Mountain and, and really be talking about uh, a spreading center in an ocean. But that slide mountain scene was this ocean that opened up uh, between 360 and 290. And by 290, that slide mountain ocean was at its maximum width before the string beans started to warp, fold, catch a bunch of Cash Creek, and then get added 170. Okay, there's a chance that maybe three people are still with me. Uh, Just by saying all this out loud, without maps, without the the way we usually lay it out in front of a a live stream uh, uh, camera, which is just the iPhone 11, uh, this does sound discombobulated. So if you are discombobulated and just driving down the highway and like, whatever, the guy's still talking, I guess he must be trying to say something. I guess what I want to say is, hey, man, go to these live streams if you haven't. Do a little homework, watch some of these uh, letter sessions, and see if it works for you. I'm particularly jazzed about the last few, I guess, starting with Quinelia. Quinelia and then Cash Creek, and then Stachina, and then Alexander, which I haven't even talked about today because it's technically not part of the intermontane superterrain. But by the time we get back to these live streams on October 23rd, we'll be building the insular superterrain, adding it. And then suddenly the main event is laying there right in front of our eyes about 100 million years ago. Okay, off the top of my head, one major discovery moment for me in real time. I'll try to follow up on that and do my homework. And in the meantime, I hope everything's going well with you in your world. Hope you stay positive with all the things that we're dealing with here in 2020. Thank you for listening. I love you. And goodbye.